0: We come together this morning before a celebration of freedom, wondering f- whether freedom is really here. Can freedom ring for black people not long out of slavery? Can freedom ring ring for women whose rights to vote, bank, study, marry, have hinged on men's desires and wants for so many years, who still shape themselves around male coworkers, partners, friends, because so many years of practice leave them inescapably curved to fit? Can freedom ring for any person who might become pregnant and now fears the possibilities of forced choice, of rushed choice, of choice made difficult, stealthy, and shameful, or of no choice at all? Can freedom ring, even if it did, without the the balance of responsibility, interdependence, and caring, what would freedom mean? but the right to swing as far as one another's noses, to share space with mutual caution and mutual loneliness. But a miner does not make a bell, nor a bell founder mine their own metal. We need one another. So let freedom ring through the bells that sound from the chambers of our hearts that hold our dreams and prayers. Let freedom ring for all who do not yet find it in this world. Let freedom ring for the hope of simply gathering in love, even when the world sends us awful news. And let it ring in memory of all who have helped build the foundation for the world of liberation, where freedom to love and freedom to care, wash away our lonely American dream and bind us to a larger dream of collective liberation. Come in this community of free thinkers and generous souls, let freedom ring once again, and let us worship together. These are the words of Reverend Elizabeth Mount. I'm Reverend Bob LaValle. I'm so glad to be here with our worship leader, Judy Goring. Uh, and I'm really grateful to our uh, friend, Reverend Sarah Scotchko who created today's Time for All Ages. It's really appropriate for this moment too, I think. Our musical guests this morning are the local group Los Sotras, who play U.S. and Latin American folk songs and and social justice songs. We're really glad to have them here on this of all weekends. Our DJ today is Chris Paul, and our tech team is William Baker, Ted Zuschlag, and Christine Robinson. Thank you so much for helping out. We take it takes a village to make a worship service. And if you're visiting us today, uh, we would love it if you're comfortable with it to put your name and where you are at in the chat so we can say hello. Now Judy has a couple announcements.
1: Good morning, everybody. We have three announcements this morning. The Social Hall Art Gallery reopens today with a new eight week exhibit by the church artist group, family pa- uh, Friday painters. Sponsored by the Arts and Aesthetics Committee, the exhibit is the first to be held in the church Hall since 2020. Come feast your eyes on artwork by church artists. All artworks are for sale with 20% of sale proceeds to go to First Unitarian. To comply with COVID-related safety guidelines, access to the social hall is limited to 30 people at a time. Look for the Arts and Aesthetic member with the Purple Scarf to help you with your purchase understanding ourselves as part of a whole part of an interconnected web of life is one of the principles of uuism how do we live into this understanding first uu member catherine fernside will be facilitating a radical wholeness workshop which invites members to explore wholeness through what is called the embodied present process In this playful experiential workshop, you'll get the opportunity to explore your belonging to this whole, deepen your ability to feel the embodied present and shed light on the many ways our culture prioritizes and reinforces our separation from wholeness. This workshop is free to First U members and will be held on July 30 and 31. Everyone is invited to join. However, space is limited. So if you are interested, reach out to Reverend Bob and he will connect you with Catherine. The ministers of First Unitarian share your rage and resolve about the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This anti-choice decision by the Supreme Court infringes on our deeply held religious beliefs Access to abortion and the right to choose is an issue of gender equality, bodily autonomy, and religious liberty, all of which are long-held Unitarian Universalist religious teachings. Guided by our moral values, we are prepared to be part of the ongoing struggle and continue to show up for reproductive justice in all aspects of public life. In observance of this fact, The church will be holding a special online Vespers Vigil on Wednesday, July 6th at 7 p.m. Check the church website for the Zoom link. As we light our chalice on the eve of the 246th year of our democracy, may the light of our chalice guide our way to truth and justice, and may it warm our communities with love, hope, and understanding. We are Unitarian, Universalist, we are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands.
2: The Rabbit Listened by Corey Dorfeld. One day, Taylor decided to build something new, something special, something amazing. Taylor was so proud. But then, out of nowhere, things came crashing down. The chicken was the first to notice. Cluck, cluck, what a shame. I'm so sorry, sorry, sorry this happened. Let's talk, talk, talk about it. Cluck, cluck, cluck. But Taylor didn't feel like talking. So the chicken left. Next came the bear. Grrr, how horrible. I bet you feel so angry. Let's shout about it. Grrr, grrr. But Taylor didn't feel like shouting. So the bear left too. The elephant knew just what to do. Trump-a-die can fix this. We We just need to remember exactly the way things were. But Taylor didn't feel like remembering so the elephant also left. One by one, they came. The hyena, hee hee, let's laugh about it. The ostrich, gulp, let's hide and pretend nothing happened. The kangaroo, tisk tisk, what a mess, let's throw it all away. And the snake, shh, let's go knock down someone else's. But Taylor didn't feel like doing anything with anybody, so eventually they all left until Taylor was alone. In the quiet, Taylor didn't even notice the rabbit, but it moved closer and closer until Taylor could feel its warm body. Together they sat in silence until Taylor said, please stay with me the rabbit listened. The rabbit listened as Taylor talked. The rabbit listened as Taylor shouted. The rabbit listened as Taylor remembered. And laughed. The rabbit listened to Taylor's plans to hide, to throw everything away, to ruin things for someone else. Through it all, the rabbit never left. And when the time was right, the rabbit listened to Taylor's plans to build again. I can't wait, Taylor said. It's going to be amazing.
0: It's Lovely. Let's pause the chat for a few moments during our meditation and prayer. We'll turn it on during the joys and concerns, of course. So one of the beauties of meditation is its utter simplicity. I know there's a lot to say about meditation. I say a lot myself, but at heart, it's a very simple process. So let's just get right to it. Find a comfortable seat. Maybe lengthen your spine. That works for you. Feel where your feet are resting, where your hips are resting, where your hands are resting. Take a deep breath, exhale. Let's turn our attention to our thoughts. I'm sorry, to our breath (laughs) and let our thoughts pass. Let's not try to control our breath. Let's simply be a witness to our breath as our thoughts come and go. We'll sit together in sacred silence for two minutes.
1: Our church is a welcoming community where we find connection, a spiritual community where we find meaning. Our church is a sharing community where our joys are amplified, a caring community where our sorrows are lessened. We take this moment to reflect on our joys and sorrows and acknowledge the mutual support of our community. Please type in the chat box, first your joys and then your sorrows. If you're unable to write in the chat box, please email the church at caring at
3: uuabq.org. Con esfuerzo que va quemando el amor, ardiente como el fuego, amor de madre, amor de hijos. Siguiendo fieles el ejemplo de Cristo, hay tanto que dar y tan poco que pedir. Madre santa del cielo, hoy cantamos para ti Unidos en la alianza de amor Vamos construyendo sueños Juntos en la misión, tú y yo por ellos Toma mi vida, piensa mi voluntad Ayúdanos siempre a amar la verdad Y así lograr la santidad Déjame educarte, quiero transformarte Y yo voy a guiarte y sigue a tu hermano, sé todo para todos, entrégate sin miedo y descubre tu misión, y yo sembraré en la tierra fértil, llenaré el huerto de tu corazón santa del cielo hoy cantamos para ti unidos en lazos de fe Cansa mi voluntad Ayúdanos siempre a amar la verdad Y así lograr la santidad
0: All these, we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names. In addition to all that we just shared, we pray for the son of Beth Orrell's friend who is dying of COVID. May that family be carried by the love of the community around them. And we pray today for Reverend Angela as she mourns the passing of her father who died in a car accident last week, his name was Michael Page. May she feel the love of this congregation carrying her in her grief, and may light perpetual shine upon michael page pray today with the words of cynthia schrader it's called prayer for a divided nation blessings on the red states and the blue states and the purple states and on the people of the red blue and purple states Blessings on the citizens and the non-citizens, the documented and the undocumented, the incarcerated, the formerly incarcerated, and the not yet incarcerated. May they be happy, may they be peaceful, may they be free. Prayers for the enfranchised and the disenfranchised and the not yet enfranchised. For the citizens who go to the polling places And for the ones who vote by mail for the ones who wait in line for hours and the ones who are dropped from the rolls blessings on the used to be voters and the not yet voters on the undecided voters and the ones who don't think their vote matters and on the people who want to vote but can't may they be honored may they be represented may their rights be protected Blessings on the people who are making signs and the people who are in the streets and the ones who are in their study groups and the ones who are writing letters and the ones who are volunteering their time and the ones who are giving of their resources. May they join together. May they learn from one another. May they make a difference. Blessings on all the people of the north and the south and the east and the west, of the plains and the mountains and the deserts and the coasts in the swamps. Prayers for listeners of NPR and listeners of Fox News. For the followers of Rachel Maddow and the followers of Rush Limbaugh. May they open their hearts. May they open their minds. May they find ways to be in community and to repair the nation. For everyone within these borders and beyond these borders. May they be happy. May they be peaceful. May they be free. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you.
4: This song, Como Tú, was written by Roque Dalton, a Salvadoran poet and revolutionary, descendant of the legendary Dalton brothers from this part of the world. And it speaks of the the dreams we all have for everyone. that Como el pan de todos, y que mis venas no terminan en mí, sino en la sangre unánime, de los que luchan por la vida, el amor y las cosas, el paisaje.
1: Our reading this morning is by Italo Calvino. The inferno of living is not something that will be if there is one. It is what is already here. The inferno where we live every day that we form by being together. There are two ways to escape suffering it. The first is easy for many. Accept the inferno and become such a part of it that you can no longer see it. The second is risky and demands constant vigilance and apprehension. Seek and learn to recognize who and what in the midst of the inferno are not inferno. Then make them endure, give them space.
0: Before I start, I think it's worth sharing a little bit about the sermon preparation process. Uh, we have a worship team here at First Unitarian that consists of Chris Paul and Susan Peck, our music director, and Angela and I. And if we have a intern, ministerial intern on hand, we we usually include them as well. Um, and then on the first day, first Wednesday of each month, we set aside set aside an entire morning to plan worship for the following month. So for example, we planned our services for this month of July on June 1st. So when I was sitting in that meeting, I was thinking about preaching on the day before Independence Day, and I was like, I have a great idea. I'll preach about democracy. Well, I imagine that the last month might be changing your ideas about democracy. and certainly is changing mine. And that's the way it's been preaching for the last few years. We pick a topic, start our research, make a plan, maybe read some books, and then whammo. Some new horrific thing happens that turns it all sideways. And moreover, figuring out how to honestly acknowledge all that's bad and hard that we're trying to live with right now, but also doing it in a way that leaves us willing to go on with our lives and go on with the pursuit of the common good is hard. It's a lot. And I appreciate your patience as we muddle through this together. So with that in mind, let's talk about democracy. Back in 2015, I think, or 2016, I participated in a counter demonstration in Buffalo, where I was living while I was going to seminary. We were demonstrating in response to a recruitment rally being held in front of Buffalo City Hall by the Buffalo chapter of the 3% Militia. Uh, The three percenters are a far-right anti-government militia, and they had some members participate in the 2021 attack on the Capitol. The rally in Buffalo, frankly, was an awkward thing. It was freezing that day. and About 20 of them stood on one side of the square with all their American flags, and about 20 of us stood on the other side of the square with our Black Lives Matter signs. Then one of the three percenters walked up to me and extended his hand and said I wanted to say hello. We're all just people exercising our First Amendment rights here Well, we began to talk and eventually most of both our groups were standing around in groups of four or five explaining their positions And I wanted to know what was motivating them Why were they choosing to blame the government and immigrants for their problems and more importantly to me what was the heartbreak that lay at the center of their unhappiness as i spoke to them i learned that they were mostly from rural towns outside of buffalo i heard their struggles with making a living wage and getting access to health care i never did understand why they were blaming the people they chose to blame but i knew that the heartbreak that pushed them to do that to do what they were doing that heartbreak was real i came to the rally with that mindset of looking for the heartbreak because I had read a book the year before called Healing the Heart of Democracy by the Quaker theologian, Parker Palmer. The book was written in 2011, and the full name of the book is Healing the Heart of Democracy, The Courage to Create a Politics Worthy of the Human Spirit. Now, doesn't 2011 seem impossibly long ago? Now, the book is impressive, because Parker Palmer talks about politics as a spiritual process, rather than using the typical frames of winners and losers and policies and strategies. And he opens the book with a quote from Terry Tempest Williams goes, the human heart is the first home of democracy. It is where we embrace our questions. Can we be equitable? Can we be generous? Can we listen with our whole beings, not just our minds, and offer our attention rather than our opinions? Do we have enough resolve in our hearts to act courageously, relentlessly, without giving up, ever, trusting our fellow citizens to join with us in our determined determined pursuit of living democracy? End of quote. So Palmer, when he wrote the book, he's deeply troubled by the hardening divide, the political divides that we have, And he tries to provide a way of participating in political realms, political conversations, that engage our hearts as well as our values. And he argues that one of the processes for undoing this divide is to look past the memes and the attack ads and the jargon of the slogans and all that and see what is the underlying heartbreak that drives a person to take one position or another. When he says, when we see that heartbreak, it humanizes the people that we may not agree with, and it gives us a chance to listen and understand, even if we don't agree. He proposes that we learn to live with a creative tension between our values and other people's values. You know, this phrase, creative tension, is appealing to me because it reminds me of the best of Unitarian Universalism that when we celebrate our diversity, our theological diversity, and all the other ways that we are diverse, when we see the variety of ways that people sitting in the same pews or rows of chairs, to be more accurate, if you're in the sanctuary or <laughs> at different couches on Zoom. Anyways, people sitting together, we see the varieties of ways that they think about the divine or whatever guides them in their spiritual life. So when it's really working, that posture of being ready to learn from each other, that is transformative. So could that magic happen when we get to politics? Or more to the point, do Parker Palmer's ideas still apply in 2022? Well, in the early part of the book, Palmer makes a list of political realities that he's not going to talk about in the book. So These are things that he's specifically excluding from his argument. So this includes not talking about politicians and the constitutional structure of the U.S. government. Not talking about the effect of big money in government. Not talking about how people should become better informed. So these are some of the characteristics of our political landscape that Palmer explicitly sets aside to focus on a politics of the heart. And when I read that book in 2015, I was willing to indulge him on this. He was choosing to focus on one thing and it was necessary to set those other other ideas aside for his argument, I guess. However, in 2022, not only can we not ignore those characteristics of U.S. politics, I'd say that those characteristics are central to the terrible place that we're in now. Let's talk about how those three characteristics have evolved since 2011. When the Supreme Court ruled that financial donations were a form of free speech, the gates of money opened and so much unaccounted for money, dark money, spilled into elections and lobbying. You know, it's funny in a grim way that when that decision came out, at the time I thought, well, this is the worst decision that Supreme Court could make. I wish I had been right. Secondly, people are less informed than ever. Fox News has done an amazing job delivering a false narrative that makes people afraid and angry. They're so good at that. I got to give them credit. And just like my 3% of friends in Buffalo, They're afraid and angry at the wrong people. Fox News refused to show the first January 6 hearing, which says it all. And QAnon is making formerly rational people go absolutely bonker with conspiracy theories that are just so weird, so far-fetched, and yet people aren't even embarrassed to share them. Finally, the constitutional structure of the country has accelerated our decline into minority rule. Each state has two senators, regardless of population. That's undemocratic. The Electoral College is undemocratic. And because the Senate is undemocratic, the process of appointing Supreme Court justices is undemocratic. And I want to point out that the two-senator-per-state rule and the Electoral College structures were both set up as a way to appease slave owners. This country was not built on democracy. This country was not built on justice never was. Now, I have nothing but respect for Parker Palmer. His other books have carried me through some of the hardest times in my life. But, and actually, I highly recommend that you check them out if you haven't already. But I think we're past the point where simply understanding why people have diametrically opposite opinions than us, just simply understanding them is going to repair this broken nation. I don't think it is. Now, this sermon is not gonna be a political rant. Well, it's not only gonna be a political rant, and I'm sorry for that, but we need to talk about the political realities in order to acknowledge the spiritual impacts of living in this country right now. We are enduring spiritual injuries. I think we're constantly receiving two kinds of spiritual injuries. First, we're witnessing things that we know are not right. Things where we, or people we love, or just other people across the country, whether we know them or not, are getting deprived of their rights, getting penalized. People are getting hurt. And it hurts us to watch it. Second, we are constantly gaslit by people who have no qualms at all, just lying through their teeth. If you're not familiar with the term gaslighting, it's when a person keeps insisting that a thing that is not true is true. And it's based on a 1944 movie called Gaslight, where a husband tries to drive his wife insane by using that strategy, by insisting that she believe things that she kind of knows are not true. So we, as a people, are spiritually injured by having to listen to lies day and day, day in and day out. So in light of the situation that we're in, how should we engage with each other and with people who have different values than us? I think something very interesting is happening. I think we have a changing understanding of what is considered civil discourse. And I think that there's a generational difference in that definition of civility. Now, I wanna be careful about assigning ways of beings to an entire generation People of a certain age cohort might have some things in common, but there's always exceptions, and any sweeping generalization is gonna have cracks in it. But I do think the idea of what's civil is changing. Specifically, there are new standards for when it when it's acceptable to criticize people or institutions publicly. For example, from the pulpit. The old way was if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Or Praise in public, criticize in private. Those are still good, li- good guidelines in certain situations, but there are times when it is not only okay to criticize in public, it's actually a person's responsibility to use their platform to speak out for justice. Silence is complicity. Like the historian Howard Zinn said, you can't be neutral on a moving train. So what are these mitigating factors? Well, first, it's important to consider the target's power. The more powerful a person or institution is, the more acceptable and even encouraged it is to hold them accountable publicly. And yes, that includes me as a minister. I have power in some settings here, and it's part of the job for me to be criticized. But people or institutions who don't have power deserve to be handled gently. Another factor is whether the person or institution in question is operating in good faith. For example, the January 6 hearings have made it un- abundantly clear that former President Trump knew that he had lost the election fair and square and knew that his attempts to overturn the election were illegal, yet he continued to lie about it and even used his lies to very successfully run a fundraising scam. That is acting in bad faith. This also applies to other religions. The Roman Catholic Church is the most powerful church in this country. And I know in 2018, they spent $2 million lobbying the state legislature of New York not to pass a law that would hold them accountable for the child abusers that they protected. $2 million. What could they have done with that? And the Catholic Church has been spending a lot of money and working very hard for a long time to make their bad theology about reproductive rights the law that everyone has to follow, whatever their religion is. And now look where we are. And do you think the US Conference of Bishops is going to stop there and not go after queer and trans folks? Maybe we should have been more outspoken about the, churches, the Catholic Church's combination of power and bad faith. But remember, these rules apply to people and institutions that have power and are operating in bad faith. When it's just regular people, Our response needs to be different. An example of this is how we should be talking to each other about the eighth principle during this year of study and reflection as we in this congregation prepare to vote on adopting it at our annual meeting in January. It's really, really important to me that this church have a healthy process where we can talk frankly about what we like about the principle and what concerns us about the principle. Having questions about how the 8th principle would work, or even if it's necessary in light of our other principles, that does not make a person racist. If anyone who hasn't gotten on board with the 8th principle just gets yelled down, folks are going to withdraw from the conversation and then our our process becomes meaningless. If the ideas behind the 8th principle are strong enough to merit them being made into a principle, then surely those ideas can stand being examined and tested when folks in this congregation say things that we don't agree with about the eighth principle the correct response is curiosity and compassion curiosity and compassion i've never changed a person's mind by insulting them Might have made me feel better but it did nothing but hurt the situation but i have changed minds By being willing to listen and acknowledge a person's perspective. And that's not far from what Parker Palmer is suggesting, so I think he's right about that in certain settings. The truth is we all need healing as individuals, and our humility and compassion for others will help with that healing process. We all need healing. But at the same time, it's true that our institutions are failing us. Humility and compassion will not fix powerful people and institutions that are acting in bad faith. For those cases, we need to bring our rage. And notice I'm saying rage, not hate. I want to share a quote by Reverend Heidi Carrington Heath. She says, Rage can be holy. Rage can be holy, but hate is destructive. Rage tells us something is very wrong in the world, and can fuel our work towards healing. Go into the world without hate, but not without rage, and heal the world. Folks, I'm so afraid of what's coming next. I know some of you are too. Our voices are one of the tools we have for getting through this, and we have to practice this new kind of civil discourse. Discourse that brings rage to the powerful, and compassion to the weak. Let's start practicing now while we still can. And may it be a spiritual practice, one that connects us to what grounds us and lifts us to all that we're possible of being. May it be so.
1: John Lewis wrote, do not get lost in a sea of despair, be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is a struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. Our church gets into necessary and good trouble. We foster many social justice initiatives, such as after-school tutoring, the Bosque restoration, our food pantry, and Change for the Future, just to mention a few. Family Promise of Albuquerque, our Change for the Future recipient for June, July, and August empowers families in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho who are at risk of homelessness or currently experiencing homelessness. Their clients are supported as they achieve sustainable independence through a community-based response. Volunteers from First Unitarian have supported Family Promise for many years. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include Change for the Future on the memo line. Let us now give freely and generously an offering to sustain and strengthen our shared religious community, a community of hope, faith, and love.
4: No, the wrong- Salimos los inmigrantes, era hora de anunciar, aquí estamos, no nos vamos, venimos a trabajar, exigimos los derechos, ya lo vamos a robar. un paso atrás, nuestros hijos el relevo, su futuro construirán. Allá voy con mi raza a marchar y verán que sin nosotros esto no puede andar, levantemos nuestras voces, no damos ni un paso atrás, nuestros hijos el relevo, su futuro construirán. Que sin nosotros esto no puede cambiar. Levantemos nuestras voces, no damos ni un paso atrás. Nuestros hijos en relevo su futuro construirán.
0: What is generously given is received in gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian, and thank you on behalf of Family Promise. So as you go forward with your day, you can stick around and go to a breakout room, hang out with your fellow congregants. Uh, But wherever you go, I invite you to turn this discussion question over in your mind. That question is, how do we decide when to criticize and when to listen? How do we decide when to criticize and when to listen? Before we bring it home, though, let's do our Pacham greeting. I invite you to put your, your view into gallery rather than speaker. You can see each other's faces. Maybe turn on your, your cameras if that feels good. One hand over your heart, one hand connecting to your community. Blessed be. Let's extinguish our chalices. May we discern when to criticize and when to be compassionate. May we cultivate our holy rage, but not our holy hate. Go in peace and practice radical love.